why do people need to be in esports today? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think you got to start with the baseline of a lot of times brands, advertisers, agencies get consumed with what I call is in the middle. You know, in the fringes, you have a product and on the other side, you have the consumer. And you will always win if you spend more time obsessing over the consumer because as they move, so does their attention span, so does their path to purchase, and ultimately their decision-making model. So when you start to look at where consumers have migrated to in, in the notion of esports or in the, in the broader world of gaming, um, you have to start to look at, well, the time in and attention they're paying in that, in that, that particular universe is going to change how they relate to brands, how they relate to products, and how they consider products. A lot of people get consumed with what's in the middle, like these are the preferred channels I tend to advertise in. You know, there, there's over a, a disproportionate focus around uh, the retail footprint. Uh, but you have to start with who, who you're essentially uh, selling to, you know, who the buyer's gonna be and how their patterns are shape-shifting. So when you look at what happened with uh, COVID-19, um, eSports didn't have to con compete for the fun page, as you said. The only audience bigger is the NFL, the NFL was turned off. So eSports really rose to the top. What was surprising was to find out how many people were in, engaged in eSports, particularly at the NFL level, when you start to see Madden competitions with stars and, and actual ball players on network television. It's like, wow, like these guys do this for real. They're not just doing it out of boredom. Like they were always doing this. So you start to understand that, you know, eSports sits in what I call the attention stack. And we'll get into probably a little more in detail as we move through this. But you think about everything OTT over the top, everything from a social platform perspective, you obviously re reference Twitch and YouTube. The level of time spent and engagement on those platforms is going through the roof. It obviously soared during COVID, but it's what you can do on those platforms that starts to give new meaning to why they matter so much. The, the depth of engagement, uh, the cross-community connections. You and I talked about how Fortnite is more of a more like a community like Facebook and less like Call of Duty. That's a huge thing to note when you start talking about to what degree does, does gaming, and particularly esports, like really sort of matter. So again. The consumer movement into this arena at greater depth with different digital behaviors uh, that, that move across what are, li what are limitations in the physical world of, of, of live sports starts to identify how their path to purchase has now been modified because they're spending so much time in things that constitute the attention stack, which esports sits squarely in the middle of. So, that has everything to do with, okay, well, how would their decisions now be reshaped or modified? All of that matters when you start to think about, from a, from a top-level marketing perspective, where should we be putting our focus? In, it's almost like a reverse model. Everything always lived and started with the physical world, started with TV, started with radio, started with print. Now it's the inverse model that's going to matter, in particular when you look at future generations and how they're sort of going to redefine that. So I know it's a bit of a long-winded response, but it's a, it's a great question in terms of context. But really, it's more the obsession of where your end consumer is and what they are doing. And now the spaces they're playing in, how is that now going to change your ability to sell and, and connect with them in understanding how the esports landscape provides an opportunity to do what you couldn't do, let's say, in, the, in a live sports arena? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a big thing, right? There, and we'll touch on this later as well. But the difference between the traditional, and, traditional sports and esports is, is actually... Big. And there are many similarities, obviously, but that difference is definitely one reason why, you know, there are many advantages to esports is the engagement's one big one. Uh, Bill, I want to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, I'll kind of give you a, a hockey analogy, if you will. Like, 
you know, you've probably heard you're going to follow the puck. You're like, where is the puck going, right? So we saw um, a big dynamic shift in behavior when Facebook got its full distribution and everyone started um, understanding social media and spending more time there. And you saw a seismic shift in ad dollars, yeah. you know, following the puck, where people were spending their time. Um, I would draw an analogy here where, you know, there is 27, um, 2.7 billion gamers globally that spend $160 billion a year. Those are huge numbers. And just to, to kind of frame where those, where those numbers sit, if you combine the box office movies that do 42 billion with music that does 20 billion, that's $62 billion in entertainment revenue. And the gaming and esports space is already at 160 billion. So um, the consumer shift has happened. Um, Generation Z, which is the, is really the largest consumer here, you do not find them on television. You do not um, find them on Facebook. You find them on Twitch or YouTube or gaming sites. Um, so that's where your audience is. Um, they're very engaged in the gaming um, as entertainment, but also as a form of competition. And it's really the new social network. When you're gaming on a console, you've got a headset on and you are talking smack with your buddies, you're having a good time, you're talking about new products. If you've got gear on, you're talking about how good the gear is. Um, so it's an enormous opportunity for marketers to engage um, the new generation in a very authentic way um, while they're um, you know, socially active with their friends. Absolutely, thanks. Yeah, that definitely shows a lot. Um, some of those numbers are really staggering. You know, we spoke about this bill already, and Albert, we spoke about this as well. But, you know, a lot of people, and myself included, didn't know much about the growth until we started looking into this and researching this. So to know that some of these numbers about viewership and the revenue that's coming into this system, they're quite staggering. Um, and so I think something that Albert mentioned earlier during, uh, you know, when he was speaking about the attention span, right? The attention span is important, especially when you think about the end consumer. And what's happened, and this sort of leads into our next question is, the attention span has been sort of thrown out of whack because there's so many things that aren't going on right now. Mm. The primary one being live sports. But also, you think about movie, right? Movie theaters are closed. A lot of big movie studios have pushed back release dates a year from now, uh, months down the road, right? What entertainment is really capturing uh, the, the user who's at home and, and looking to consume that? And and so with that, I want to transition into, you know, okay, esports, I mentioned it some, some of those trend slides. Albert touched on it really briefly earlier. But the growth during COVID, you know, since really mid to early March has been astronomical. And viewers, um, and engagement, and hours watched on the Twitch hours watched numbers have gone up, you know, nearly 30 to 40% month over month, which is you know, unheard of. We're talking about, you know, almost over a billion hours of content watched, but that's crazy in a month of time to, yeah. to grow that much. Um, so the, we, we know that, you know, people are home and they're watching this content. They're watching on Twitch, they're watching on YouTube, they're consuming this content. But the question really is, you know, when the world goes back to normal, you know, hopefully very soon, we've seen a little bit of that trend, especially here in New York. We, you know, we've opened just about a week and a half ago, um, and hopefully you're turning in the right direction. But you know, when people are, are back in the office, going to work, and not in so not in so much much, what, what's the expectation, right? Do you still 
think the growth will be at the same level? Uh, and and sort of what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, so, you know, we, we started talking about uh, what behaviors that consumers adopted, picked up during COVID would sustain, uh, you know, coming out of the, the pandemic or, or at least adapt, adaptation to the, the new normal, whatever that is. Um, the biggest thing that I think happened was that this, 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 uh, this, this, how gaming was stigmatized has changed because it was, you know, if you look at how it's played out cinematically in movies, it's always this, just, you know, this sort of geeky dude, you know, in a dark room who just sits there hours away punching at a keyboard. So there was a lot of bias against, is that a realm that the average marketer could identify with? If you look at who the decision maker is, and they, they didn't. So they're like, I don't understand why we'd spend money there. I don't game. Well, when we all have to stay in shelter, stay in place, we start to understand and even experiment with what the other generation is doing. And look, for some of the household, it's because your kids are gaming and all of a sudden they're showing it to you. And because you have disposable time now, you do it as well. So then, you know, all of a sudden everybody's TikToking, quote unquote, because their kids pulled all the parents into that world. Uh, you start to look at what your kids are doing Fortnite because you're literally in their face 24 hours a day and you're like, okay, what are you doing? Then you start to understand and develop an appreciation for it. So a lot of it was just the exposure level happened. And, and obviously, uh, everyone working from home allowed us to understand what the other behaviors are were going on in the household from the generations that are quote-unquote power users. The other thing is some of the stuff we didn't do because we just didn't have time to experiment with it. Now that we have and we understand it, then you're like, oh, whoa. Then when we start to understand that there is a celebrity factor that participated in it, obviously if you looked at racing, you know, our client Lexus has a, a, a motorsports initiative with all the racing being postponed, all the Lexus drivers were participating in iRacing between commentating and driving. Uh, so you're like, oh, you, 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 know, you actually do this on a sim for real. So once you understand that the behavior is more rampant and exists more prevalent, then there's a different level of acceptance for it. And once you participate, you start to understand the power of it from a, from a user, from a human perspective. So then the bias starts to disappear. And again, to my comment earlier about you know things that normally would have stayed below the line, got to take center stage because it didn't have to compete. You know, you turn on, you turn on um, um, ESPN and the sports channels, half of what you see on is quote unquote virtual sports. So you're like, oh, this is seriously a thing. You know, who's behind this? So I think, you know, the pandemic provided a perfect opportunity to sort of allow a, a, a scale of people to sort of lift the hood, pull the veil back, see exactly what existed. Then you start to understand what that world offers that you could never do in a physical world because it's essentially cost prohibitive. So I think these behaviors will carry forth in the same way that we didn't turn off linear TV, we just started adding you know, our connected TV behaviors to the linear behavior, you will see people add the esports behavior to what was already a rooted sports behavior. It's kind of like when everyone um, um, started doing fantasy football. We didn't stop watching football, we just added fantasy to the mix, which accelerated our affinity for actual football. I think you're gonna see the same thing with esports where the participation of virtual sport is just gonna fuel the affinity for the live sports, particularly when everything comes back on. And that'll be the interesting duality in the behaviors that will stay with, with consumers, with users, that now becomes validation for the average marketer to say, oh, I really should be living in both worlds, and now let's figure out how to play in both those sandboxes. Yeah, no, that, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because the attention, I'm gonna go back to your attention span, your attention, you know, sort of what's grabbing attention, and. and because of the sort of lull and what's going on in the world right now, entertainment-wise, 
esports got its sort of moment in the spotlight Absolutely. and you know definitely captured it based on all these sort of trends and information that we're reading but that sort of engagement that we've seen is not something that's going to go away overnight right it's something that will continue growth forward yep. um, and esports even before everything that's that's happened recently has been on a, a huge growth trajectory in the past few years for viewership for dollars pumped into the system um so so we expect that same thing to really continue yeah, Bill? yeah no it's really interesting i mean we saw an incredible surge in our traffic um you know more than doubled our audience during covid um and you know potentially crashed some servers along the way so um you know we saw more and more and more appetite for new games and um new gameplay so i think a, a new audience you know kind of came alive with the lack of other things to engage with um and now they're starting to learn about esports they're learning about the celebrities in esports right and, um there's everyone knows the big celebrities in our major leagues like football and baseball and basketball but now we've got new audiences now they know who mr fresh agent is which is one of our top influencers on fortnite um, they're watching him there's over six million people watching him every day on youtube um play fortnite and curate so um we've definitely tapped into a new audience um you know and we you know um albert mentioned um you know the celebrity participation we have brand ambassadors richard sherman carl anthony towns darius slay yeah you know during um COVID, we did a, a program with our partner Twitch, um, where Richard Sherman was playing Call of Duty to raise money for COVID. And, and I think it brought a lot of attention to, you know, an outlet that's a lot of fun. And um, it's, it's really a whole new paradigm. So it's going to be interesting because, you know, as we're coming out of COVID, we're now in the summer where um, those that aren't familiar with the gaming space, Q3 is, is as big as Q4, you know, leading into the holidays as far as time spent on device. New game releases are coming out, so there's a lot of research happening. There's a, you know, a whole slate of new games that are really poised to launch in November to drive up to, you know, the big holiday spending sprees. So I think we're going to see, a, you know, this new normalization of, um, you know, continued growth. I, I really don't see a pullback. Absolutely. Let me reshare my screen. Sorry. Just wanted to get that out. But Bill, I, I agree, and, and you know firsthand everything that's going on right now because, as you mentioned, you guys have your properties, your influencer connections, everything that's seen astronomical growth. Um, now, the next topic we're going to talk about is the, the sort of the similarities and differences between traditional sports and esports. And so for this one, we also have another audience question, uh, a poll question. So let me share that out and get some responses to that one. So take a look. Um, this is a simple yes or no question, but it's simply, you know, have you ever used sports marketing in the past? Um, yes or no. And we want to get an idea because there are some similarities, like I said, but also many differences. Um, so I'm going to keep the poll open as we sort of get into the topic, and then I'll touch on some of the responses as we're sort of in the meat of discussion. Um, so you should all see that poll in Zoom should have popped up. Um, but, you know, Albert, I know we've talked about this many times. 
because both of us are sports fans and both of us are also learning and we've learned a decent amount about the esports world. But, you know, when I think about sports, the, any sports, the one major difference that I think about is just the engagement factor, right? The engagement of fan and the athlete for the team. You know, that, that engagement level, it, what it feels like to me is much deeper in an esports world. And the example that I like to give and that I'm sure you, Albert, I know you've heard a million times, but um, is the example of, you know, let's say LeBron James, right? Because streaming is a big part of the esports world. Obviously, yeah. as Twitch is one of the big platforms. Um, as a fan of the NBA, as a fan of LeBron James, you normally don't get to see LeBron James on his off days. No. You know, at home, <laughs> hanging out, shooting, practicing free throws. Right. You don't see that. But in the esports world, when you have you know these big esports athletes who are streaming on Twitch in their downtime, where they have thousands and thousands of people watching them, you know, play casually and have a chance to interact with them. Um, through that platform, yep. the engagement is so much greater. Like you get that look into that that athlete, that personality's life, um, where you don't really get that as much in a traditional sports um, in, in that world. So that's the one big difference that I see. But I'd love to hear from both you some of the sort of the ways you compare the two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we all understand. You know, the one thing about digital, it rewards depth above all else, and depth in the experience, depth in the level of engagement. Uh, uh, d depth in terms of how you can immerse or, or wrap a brand experience around it. It's really the, the depth factor. So when you get into, look, we all love the affinity for live sports, whether it's a football game, basketball game, racing, what have you. Uh, but when you start to think about the notion of customer intimacy, uh, there isn't as much intimacy in live sports. It's not possible unless you stay after and try to get a signature from your favorite athlete. Um, you know, that, that's a, a, about the degree it, it comes. And look, there's always something great about seeing somebody do it in person, but when you start thinking about what you get from a digital uh, standpoint in esports, that degree of separation almost doesn't even exist. Uh, where you can get like a hyper connection to that individual or into that person's lifestyle. As they say, uh, bring me into sort of the looking glass. Let me know what goes on behind the scenes. What is it that got you there and still keeps you there versus me just seeing the finished product on display when I come to the quote unquote performance. Again, that's a different level of, of intimacy. The other thing is a lot of those things are just cost prohibitive and, and, and logistically are impossible. You know, LeBron can't connect with 50 fans after a game unless he just hangs out for an hour. But virtually, you can do that at hyperspeed and little bits and pieces of nuggets. The same way all the reason all these athletes are on Instagram, doing IG Live, Facebook Live every single week. So you bring that element and you can port that into esports. When you look at esports, you can bring the best of interaction, in particular everything that digital has to offer, into the esports realm on its own. I mean, you can steal a little bit of what you know you get from Facebook network in terms of level of engagement. You can start looking at what is the factor that uh, you know YouTube Twitch offers and bring that in and all build that into a program and it doesn't cost millions of dollars. So the efficiency factor is another thing that really comes in play as a marketer is that you can accomplish much more, you can have far more dynamics. And at the end you can still sell them and pull in a commerce aspect and say that okay now that you've got that here are opportunities to get samples uh, here's an opportunity to click the buy uh here's an opportunity to sign up for this i mean you can fan gate there's so many dynamics and elements of what you can do in esports then in a traditional realm you really kind of left at a sponsor level which is means you're part of the ambient noise of what's going around you're not the you can't you can't take a focal point you can't build your own stage essentially the stage is really who's on sh uh, showcase which is the athlete or the sport uh, but you, you, you're really sort of in the background 
as it's left uh, uh, from an analogy standpoint. You're like the billboard that people see is their experience versus in an esports realm, you can pick a stage to own selfishly as the brand you know, who's, who's hosted. And then you can create, again, the unique tie-ins and opportunity to quote unquote touch and have contact, if you want to call it, with the celebrities that are essentially involved. So when you think about that, when you think about the payoff, when you think about what the reward is in the consumer's mind, there's so much more you can do than you could in the live realm. So the, the affinity, um, you know, the, the, all the brand metrics you matter, that you measure, uh, you can build upon in that world much easier than you can in a live world uh, sports world, unless you're willing to pay an exorbitant amount of money. And look, those sponsorships are left for one or two people. That's it. You know, whoever owns the stadium owns the stadium. Whoever owns the box suite owns the box suite. But in the esports realm, you can customize and create your own runway. Uh, that's wholly unique in terms of I don't have to compete at a share of voice level and overspin or overbid someone to have that marquee position. In esports, you can create your own playing field. That that's very unique. That's very appealing. So the you know, other thing is uh, obviously in live sports, those are long-term agreements and long-term big-dollar contracts. In esports, there's more of an ebb and flow. You can get in, you can get out. So you can pick and choose. You can do it based upon the personality of your brand. So there's a lot more agility and adaptability and flexibility in the esports realm versus live sports. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 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 a big thing. Uh, the not only the different numbers of ways in which you engage fans, you engage the consumer, but also you know, the way you can sort of flow between the different different worlds, right? You can all, just like you do traditional sports with yeah. a billboard, right? You can have billboards in, you know, there are esports events that happen in person, live in stadiums. You can have billboards as well, but you, the engagement you get from more, the more digital side of, you know, having influencers in your roster, like Bill knows a lot about, yeah. having product placement within the games themselves, having, uh, you know, driving sales that way or awareness that way, um, it is a big part of it. Uh, thanks, so thanks for that, Albert. Uh, Bill, how about you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, the similarities are that, um, you know, traditional sports has teams, franchises, athletes, coaches, um, scheduled broadcast, um, you know, very similar in esports, um, where there's multiple leagues and teams. Um, we have several athletes that compete in um, Overwatch, Fortnite, etc. Um, I think the biggest difference is content creation. So, um, esports athletes um, are enormous content creators while they're playing, while they're practicing, they're broadcasting on Twitch and on YouTube to hundreds of millions of followers that want to learn how to be a better player at Fortnite. Um, they want to know, do they need a Herman Miller chair? Um, you know, do, do I need a, a faster mouse? Um, you know, do I need to work out more? You know, should I drink G Fuel? Like there's, the consumer is really influenced while all gameplay is happening. So from a marketing perspective, there's a ton of uh, new engagement strategies and tactics you just can't do with traditional sports. Um, and again, to Albert's point, there's a lot of flexibility um, and there's a lot of alignment um, that brands can can garner uh, in different leagues and different types of influencers. You'll find, you know, the, the audience following someone like Mr. Fresh Asian, they love his humor. They love his 
aggressive attitude um, and they really follow his recommendations. So brands have an opportunity to um, have an intimate relationship with an athlete and a content creator. Um, as long as you do it in an authentic way, um, you can drive really positive results. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that last part you mentioned is crucial. Actually, lead right into our, our next topic as well. But, you know, so for people who are listening in, right, we, we've given them a little bit of background on esports world and, and the growth trajectory we're on and little comparisons to sports. But now let's say we want to discuss, you know, how can I actually market in esports successfully? You know, what's a good strategy I should have as a marketer to hit my consumer using esports? Um, and so I have another uh, poll question which I'll share with uh, everyone as well, which you'll see in just a second. Um, and this one is more specific to the next topic, which is, you know, esports strategy. So I just launched, you should see it um, in your Zoom. Um, and so the question was, uh, in which specific elements of esports you know, strategy are you most interested in? Um, there's a few options there, but you click, click the ones that apply. Um, I'm sure there are more than one that, that people are concerned about or want to learn more about. Um, and as people you know, file in with the responses, we'll start off quickly um, you know, just with a little high level um, on sort of both your takes on how this would work, right? So I'm a brand, uh, I've never been in esports before and I'm trying to get into it. What should I know? You know, what's the strategy I should be taking, and, and how should I execute it? Um, you know, primarily done digitally, obviously. There also is a, is a linear component as well for certain leagues and events, but primarily digital, which you know many people have good digital backgrounds. But how can I utilize all? As Albert, you mentioned, there's so many different ways in which you're going to engage a consumer. You know, what's the best way that I can run a successful esports marketing campaign? Yeah, um, good thing. I mean, I think there's some basics and foundations of you know, understand your consumer that you need to start with. But I mean, the one thing you got to think about with esports is it provides the three key facets of a product placement, a product that is seen, a product that is talked about, and a product that can actually be utilized in the experience. Uh, so you think about that, you think about the best aspects of brand entertainment you've ever seen, whether it's in a, in a, in a movie or a TV show, it is those three layers. You can do that in esports and will. In live sports, in a lot of instances, that's almost impossible because most of the advertising is sponsored billboards. And the only people who really make money is merchandise from the team in the stadiums that are playing that day or in the arena, as well as the concession stand, which usually has to do less with any, any brands that we sort of know and love. So, you know, that's the first thing about the three levels of, of product placement. Uh, Got to be aware about how, you know, the personality of your brand, you know, to make sure that esports sort of fits with, you know, esports fits the brand's identity, the brand's persona. But again, with a lot of flexibility, you can typically find a way. I think you have to think about um, how your consumer does make decisions around product product categories. So you're so being in esports isn't quote unquote out of bounds. A lot of people jump into new frontiers and don't even think about the business outcomes. They just want to do it. You do need to have some acumen about expectations coming in. Whether it's just, hey, we want to see some product engagement, some interest around product trial, or we actually want to see that, that there's an uptick and people bought it, or that people just validate that it's good stuff. So be very clear on that so you build a program from, from the back, moving to the beginning of the, of the campaign setup and execution. Uh, I think, you know, the other thing is, when, and Bill had a great point about, you know, people dialing into the celebrity's persona and wanting to play that up. There are opportunities to be intimate in a way that you normally couldn't in a live arena. Take that into consideration, not only the intimacy of the game in, in the landscape
landscape of whatever the sport is that's being played, but the people who are sort of at the controls and how you can align yourself with them because you may want to pick different influencer type that best suit the brand and the objectives. But look, who knows? They just may be a brand aficionado. You never knew it. Those are cues you can sort of dial into because in a lot of sports realm, it, because there's less, there's so many limitations. It's easier. Let me not delude anyone in saying that coming in the esports realm, it is work. Like you do have to put some thinking towards being relatively smart about it because there's a lot of opportunity. You don't you don't want to miss the mark just because from a planning perspective, you didn't set it right from the beginning. It's not whether esports doesn't work. You know, the, it's onus on the marketer to be very prudent about looking at uh, essentially the type of alignment from from a, a program standpoint. But you know, again, think about how to dimensionalize the brand's experience and participation in this realm. There are a lot of areas where advertisers show up that is very analog, it's very static. You know, eSports is, is high touch, it's very involved, that's very different. You'd almost have to think of it in terms of what, what is it like to do pop-up retailing uh, inside a big box store where you're trying to get samples and talk about the product, do product demonstrations, all this stuff, and less of out-of-home advertising. It's a different realm. So the other thing is you need to get into conversation about metrics, like what are the metrics available based on what you're doing and how should you measure and quantify to learn. And I think the biggest thing is set up a campaign in the esports realm to teach you something about the consumer you're pursuing. A lot of people just set up stuff, but from the campaign perspective, there are no elements that they can learn anything to come back and step and repeat. And that's a major failure as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, those would be just some, some quick sort of tenets in terms of a, a, a you know a marketer to sort of rely on and thinking about entering the the, the esports realm. The other thing I'd probably say is, you know, get in fast, learn fast, adapt fast. Uh, instead of being a laggard and getting on the bandwagon at that point where it's hyper competitive because every brand has sort of beat you to it. Absolutely, um, Bill. Right before you go, um, wanted to give some of the responses we got in the poll. And Albert, I think what you mentioned was measurement being a big thing. Um, because that's in the digital world, measurement's everything, right? And, right? and so the poll goes to show that the people who are you know, responding to our poll, the people watching, listening right now, um, measurement was the biggest you know, thing that the people are interested in learning more about, right? People don't, aren't sure, like, what's the best way that I can measure this, right? Because there's so many different things I can do in esports and so many different avenues I can take to market a brand or a product, measurement's important. Um, and, and the best part about all the, a lot of the esports you know, executions you can put together and think of is they're all done digitally and the best part about that is they can all be measured accurate right um when you think about your so the social media part of you can measure that yep. through facebook through twitter when you think about your, your a video aspect of a stream um you know twitch youtube they have great measurement as well i'm sure a lot of people on the phone have worked on youtube before um you know how measurement works right measurement is important and you always want to that, that's a huge part of, of esports, which I think sets also apart going back to the previous topic, comparing to traditional sports, is because it's you know more digitally focused. The measure there's a better way to measure success, whatever the KPI is, right? If you want people just to build awareness for uh, a product, or do people actually click and go through and buy a product, you know, there there are ways to measure it, which, which is crucial. Uh, it's coming from you know the the marketer perspective. Uh, but yeah, Bill, I'd like to let's get your sort of take on this as well because I mean you've seen campaigns in esports directly, right? You're you're the one working to set those up with your brand partners for your content. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Um, 
you know, we spend a lot of time educating. Um, so when we have brand, when we sit down with a brand that is not engaged yet in um, esports and online gaming, um, you know, we typically, you know, talk to them about the, the core pillars they should be looking at. First of all, you know, you should be aligning with an established, an established but growing brand in esports. Um, whether it's their team or the content creator. Um, and a big part of the uh, program and sponsorship is, is the size and scale of your influencers. Um, really, really important um, when you're executing activations to have as much reach as possible. Um, so that, and, and um, you know, we, it's critical to make sure that um, the alignment is authentic um, you create trust with, with the viewer, with the user, um, and you, you really need to provide a value exchange. Um, you know, hardcore gamers and esports fans really don't want to be sold hard. They, they want a value exchange and messaging, and that can be accomplished a variety of different ways using influencer channels, um, educational videos, etc. Um, you know, and we found whenever you can. Uh, um, put a little humor um, or have some bleeding edge technology, something that's really cool, that's out of the box. Um, you're definitely gonna, you're gonna get that attention. Um, so, you know, when we talk to brands that are just getting, you know, into the space, there's a ton of research that we can show. Um, the audience is massive and very responsive. If you align, you know, your product and services um, to those audience needs, and then it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. I think sort of our, our, the last topic we're going to touch on, I think we're going to sort of roll into it pretty seamlessly from what we've already discussed, which is strategy, right? We've discussed a little bit um, the strategy of how marketers should, you know, take that first step into the esports world, which is you think about it. And so having discussed that, you know, what are some brands that, you know, both of you have seen, uh, Bill, I'm sure you've seen many firsthand, but, and Albert, you as well, is what are some brands who are, you know, really thriving in esports? Who, you know, are, are have, have dove in headfirst, are are really talking to the consumer. You know, as Bill, as you mentioned, they're really being authentic in esports and connecting with that end consumer. Just some examples to, and maybe why those brands are doing really well. So some people sure. on the phone can, you know, get understanding of, you know, what's the, how these strategies have ended up working for many big brands. Yeah, I can jump in here. So you know, we've seen great success with. Um, Gillette, a relatively new entrance into the esports space. Um, their mantra is get your game face on. You guys probably are all familiar with Gillette. They're a very heavy traditional sports advertiser in the NFL. Um, they're leading in significantly into the esports space um, and they understand the value of the content creator. So um, our Luminosity Fortnite house, um, we did product placement as they get ready to put their game face on and leveraged all those social channels. Um, they've leveraged our YouTube channels to promote um, their current activation with Twitch, which is with, with uh, another influencer, Dr. Lupo. So um, that's one example. Um, I think MasterCard sees the opportunity in e-commerce. Um, BMW, you know, is, is clearly driving um, from a performance perspective. Um, and then, you know, some of the largest advertisers like AT&T with 5G and, and uh, the need for speed, 
um, they they really see you know a, a great tire. Yeah, absolutely. Alder, have you seen any sort of example that either you've worked on or you've seen out there that you've thought, you know, this brand is really hitting, doing it right, they're marketing well? Yeah, I would definitely um, uh, echo the sentiments around BMW, uh, but you know, part of the brand DNA is, is performance, it always has been, so when you think of gaming, it fits into that. Um, look, I mean, everybody can't be Red Bull, I think Red Bull is the best, but Red Bull's entire DNA is this is what we do. You know, they're the X Games, they're like the, the anti-network TV mainstream game. So for them to come into the esports realm and really sort of uh, highly define how you're supposed to do it, they're, they're the best to look at. I mean, they do all the cool stuff first, but that's so baked into their DNA. And if you ever meet with those guys, they have a whole production side of a house that just looks at what's the new frontier we're going to break. Who, who is that consumer everybody else is overlooking? that doesn't want, but, but they're gonna be the ones that start to shape shift sort of trends in the culture. So I think part of it is that you can look at people who have more or less paved the way a year, two, three years in advance and take a little bit of the page from their book and in, 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 in baby steps sort of incorporate that into your repertoire. I mean, they're probably the best brand to look at who essentially like has the blueprint across all the, the facets of what is, you know, historically in this country been sort of non uh, traditional. I mean, that's, that's just who they are. I mean, who else takes a Formula One race car and puts it on the Golden Gate Bridge or puts it on South Beach? I mean, they, they just have a different ethos in how they think. However, there are smaller, more, I'd say, conservative scale opportunities to sort of dip in the water. Audi is another brand that's been there, but you know, if you look at their, their, their alignment around MLS, and just soccer in general globally, then you can understand why the uh, esports is easier for them because they understand the athletes. And to build, when you talk about you know some of their stars being like Richard Sherman, uh, it's like people don't know what those people do beyond the field. In the esports, was a huge opportunity to step into the looking glass, and say, okay, this is the other side, and this is also what you do. It's not just the stigma that ball players got big TVs and, 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 and PlayStations in their home. Like, like, you don't do it just for fun. Like, you do it as part of profession. Now people are starting to understand who's investing in esports teams. That was another trigger that it, it sort of legitimized that as well. So I, I think when you start to follow the, the, the breadcrumbs of who's sort of doing it well and who's sort of been there, then you start to understand why. I think there's a lot of opportunities, even if you're a QSR, uh, you know, with all the late night gaming goes on, I mean, who doesn't want to get on grub up and order some food? I mean, there's some easy, easy tie-ins to the behaviors of what people do get in the physical world that they can mimic in a digital world because some of the things still have to happen. I think it just requires a little bit yeah. of imagination, but you can match in parallel and say, okay, in a digital universe, does that same thing happen uh, as they were leaving the stadium in a digital world? Will they go do that thing too? Oftentimes you'll find consumers, as it pertains to the category, will do that. So you don't always even have to look at what another brand is doing. You can apply a little bit of common sense logic goes, what does the what does the user do? What does the consumer just do? That is just a thing they do. I think certain brands have been very smart about saying, okay, we're we're in a new platform, new landscape, but they still do the same thing. But the 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 procurement of it is different because they're not in a physical world, but it's still the same activity. So some of that is just basic observation will get you very far if you spend the time to observe what happens and transpires. Yeah. 
Albert, uh, I got a question here, or, or I guess more of a comment, that there was some background noise a little bit when you first started just speaking there. So could you repeat, I think the first brand that you mentioned, I think I heard it, but I think some people listening in didn't hear, so we can just sort of give them a recap of, uh, of what you mentioned really when you started speaking there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, my comment was that, you know, I echo uh, Bill's sentiment that uh, BMW is, you know, one of the best, but again, the DNA of their brand is performance. When you think about being in, in esports and performing and it's highly competitive, easy. It's part of, it's almost ladders up to the brand moniker. And I'm not saying that's for everyone, but let's just think about that. If you're trying to take a performance angle, think about the competitive nature of sport, esports and needing to perform because you're a participant, not someone watching. I think the other thing I started in was that, you know, if you really want to watch a master class of esports or, or all the sort of non-traditional games, look at Red Bull. I mean, because they, they're with their production house, they're just looking to cover ground and do as much as anything. And they do it in a way and at scale, and they, do, they go big before most people are even thinking about it or even though it exists. So, you know, they're, they're someone that if you just took pieces of what they do, you, you would be winning, you know, because everyone can't be essentially a Red Bull, but just pieces of some of the stuff they're doing because they do so much, uh, then, I mean, that becomes a game changer, not just in your position of, do, do we do esports or do we not? So again, I think those are some of the great examples. Again, easy for the brands whose DNA just aligns with the nature of, of esports as a, as, a, as a vertical. But I yeah. think there are some easy elements that people can tap into that they will find just makes sense if they spend enough time just observing the behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. Another question came in that I think sort of relates to this topic, or the last topic we've been talking about, about brands who have been doing well. We've mentioned people like BMW, MasterCard, um, and AT&T, and where, where their, some of their brand messaging has aligned really well with the gaming world. Um, so the question came in that, what would you recommend for brands that aren't as, quotes, cool? Um, so some examples like insurance companies or, um, you know, technology, um, you know, services or, or less, um, you know, blue chip tangible products that you think of when you think about BMW or for someone like that. You know, what are ways in which some of those types of brands can get involved in, in this work? So it, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll throw it to Bill when I'm done. You have to think about it holistically. Let's say you're a, 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 a computer not computer manufacturer, but you're in the software business, or you make graphic cards for computers. It's very easy to say, look, is your game experience too slow, not rich enough? Upgrade. Upgrade You know what you're, what you're playing in, the components that allow the accelerator to be more competitive. Uh, upgrade with the experiences in terms of when you view the games. I don't care if you're a TV manufacturer that's like, look, get off your PC go to a connected TV device and a 60 inch screen. I mean, there, 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 there's a lot of things in the background of your, you know, a food company, your QSR. Look, gamers get hungry. So do a partnership with Grubhub and have people order Grubhub because they don't want to step away from the game to order while they're gaming and then it essentially gets delivered. And you got enough time to get up and enter to the door, just not enough time to go drive and pick it up. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things, you know, even if you're in the insurance business, think about it, you, you, you want to be in the right type of realms of esports so iRacing makes sense because obviously if you're racing what tends to happen you crash so you can use that as an analogy of saying if you have this kind of insurance stuff like this gets covered in the real world when you do it on the street now you should be racing but you understand the play again there's some natural ways of immersing yourselves into all things part of the experience even beyond the in-game 
think about the users sitting in the room and what is around them and what things do they still need to facilitate. Look, gamers have uh, some sort of caffeinated drink to stay awake. That's that's a, a stigma, but and a stereotype, but it's real. So, if you're coffee, if you're if you're a soda, I mean, boom, that's that's sort of the the end. Uh, obviously, if you're selling gaming chairs, you got to be comfortable in the chair you're in. So, I mean, I think there are a plethora of ways of even thinking about the environment of, of competition. Look, if you're in the apparel business and you sell more athletic apparel. You know, the same way these bowling guys show up with these, you know, these custom shirts when they compete on TV, start getting into, get some gamer gear. I mean, you know, again, I think what people need to think is not overthink the in-game experience. Think about the total experience that surrounds someone coming into a room, sitting down, getting dialed in for two hours and saying, what are the things that complement what they are doing, even if they were doing some other activity? Yeah. I agree with that. I think a big thing to think about, you know, when you're thinking in that lens of, you know, I'll take the insurance company as an example, right? You might not think off the bat there's a huge direct connection to someone while they're playing a video game, but you're still hitting that person as an audience member, right? They're still part of your target audience. That person is younger, they're under the age of 35, but insurance is for everyone, right? Um, So there's always a way to hit the target. And the messaging might be different for someone you're hitting in an esports realm than you are Let's say, for right. example, Quicken Loans or Rocket Mortgage, right? They're a huge traditional sports sponsor, but they're also a huge sponsor of a lot of esports. Yes. Um, you know, Rocket Mortgage is a big sponsor of, of esports. And so, you know, their messaging is, is vastly different when you think about how they're hitting people who are your e-gaming, esports viewers than it is for a person watching the NFL on TV. But, you know, they're able to hit those two different audiences because they can't really tap into the Gen Z audience in the NFL as much. Um, Bill, I have to get your thoughts here as well, because obviously I'm sure you work with numerous brands, um, even ones that maybe aren't as a perfect fit as an Intel or uh, you know a, a G Fuel that you mentioned as well, that sort of product placement-wise fit pretty seamlessly into esports, but ones that are maybe not as direct touch for the end user. Yeah, I think you know just going back to your insurance, you know, uh, category, you know, the, the esports and the gamers, they they love. A sense of humor. Um, they love things to be cool. So, you know, insurance is boring, right? And no one's, you know. But if you look at the whole insurance industry, from Geico to State Farm, they've all and farmers, they've they've taken a humor angle in their general messaging. So I think they they could tweak it a little bit for this audience, make it a little cooler, uh, make it a little more cutting edge. Um, so you just have to think about, you know. Albert talked about this, knowing your audience. You know, the e-gamer is an early adopter. They're a researcher. They want the best for performance. Um, And if they like a product, they are going to tell their friends. Um, They're going to brag about it. They're going to, you know, tweet about it. Um, So, you know, that's, when I think of a brand coming into this space that's not a sexy brand, you got to try to find a way to make it a little sexy. Yeah, I think it's yeah, great the point you, you yeah. brought up because Go ahead, when you think about the depth that an in, 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 in e-gamer, does, you know, what they go through to ensure they can compete, understanding the game, the level, what gear, what this, what communities, I mean, it's a lot of information. It, it, it's a type. So when you think about someone who's a TurboTax user, you know, a gamer is a, is a highly evolved independent mind because you're not in a room with people, you're, you know, typically in isolation. 
uh, you know, trying to compete on your own, that's someone who would dive deep into doing their own taxes with software, who would use a Quicken and a QuickBooks. I mean, those are the things you can get into a persona, and, and, and Bill will probably agree. Brands need to think about the persona of who buys their stuff and look at the similarities of a gamer because a rocket mortgage and stuff like that makes sense. I mean, you're talking about people who would rather use an app, this is a gamer, than the traditional means of looking at refinancing. It makes total sense. Uh, you think about other apps that are out there that can you know, aggregate your receipts. Someone who doesn't want to use an analog way of, let's say, uh, you know, uh, using you know, uh, quick and QuickBooks software, he wants to use an app, that's a gamer. So it, that makes sense for your particular business. So I think when you think about, again, the total experience from person doing the research, the intensive nature of how they get prepped to enter that world, being well-informed, look, you gotta be well-read, or you know, you get into a game, you just get your butt beat, you know, essentially, like, it, it just won't be, it won't be a happy experience, so everybody wants to do yeah. well. All that prep work, there are certain categories where the same type of diligence is required. That is a type, and that is a type you can easily align with, in particular, as Bill said, when your product isn't sexy, but it's the, it requires essentially the same level of depth, and those people appreciate that because they know they'll pay off an award or essentially when they do that. I think for a lot of the other brands, it's like, what you do is complementary to what is going on, or it essentially is, is, is indeed still needed. So when Bill made the reference of, you know, should I, should I work out, you know, am I, am I in shape to game for three hours? Nobody thinks about that walking to a stadium arena, unless you're just looking at the athletes and say, I'm not in their shape. And nobody's thinking about, oh, should I be taking some sort of energy drink? You know, in a stadium and arena, people are trying to figure out, you know, how much alcohol to consume. So you have to think about the things that present itself in the esports realm that do not exist in the physical realm and take those into consideration. And I think Bill will agree, there's just way more opportunity. You know, there are a lot of brands that don't, don't really have business sponsoring at the live event level for a lot of sports, in particular to the run-up show. But in an esports realm where there's far more, uh, uh, the playground is, is far richer, you can start to imagine what was never even a conversation um, yep. in, in particular, that, that you would never essentially be able to do. One of our clients uh, in, in the past was Reynolds. We worked on the infamous Red Cup. Obviously, you can't get a Red Cup into an arena. Not allowed. And the cup you get are Red Cups. Uh, could you get into a Red Cup narrative with the bright brand personality around esports? Absolutely, because Red Cups are uh, the, 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 the cup at home. You know, they're the cookout cup, but the cup at home. So all of a sudden, there's a play for esports where in the arena it's completely out of bounds because you know Reynolds doesn't even have a contract so that's what we're talking about about the possibilities just open up in the esports yeah. realm that don't exist in the live realm absolutely we have one more question just came in as well um, which is I think this is a good one and I, I think I've, I heard this question a lot on calls and meetings with with, uh, with partners is you know how can a brand make a, a big impact in this way in this world when their budgets aren't, you know, the, the biggest that are out there. Um, and my answer to that question before I let Bill and Albert talk will know more than I do, obviously. But my answer is, you know, you have to figure out what avenue in esports works well, um, right? There is, you can market through influencers, you can market during events or for teams, like you would in a traditional sports way, you sponsor a team or an athlete. Um, but you can simply run campaigns across gaming content, YouTube and Twitch. Um, across certain events uh, through influencers, which are uh, you know, significantly less from a budget standpoint than you would think when you're thinking about sponsoring an event in esports. Um, but I, I think, as Bill mentioned, you know, with some of these influencers, they're getting millions of views 
on a daily, weekly basis, right? So even a small execution in that way can lead to results from awareness from just the reach perspective of hitting a large audience of people at a much smaller sort of budget rate. And, and Bill and Albert, I love your thoughts on this as well. You know, how can these brands who don't have an unlimited, you know, deep pockets, how can they really make a big impact in this world? Yeah, so just from our perspective, you know, we have influencers that reach, you know, 500,000 people a month to influencers that reach 60 million. So there's, there's different scale um, in an influencer. So I would say, you know, for um, maximum impact with a lower level budget, you really want to find that emerging influencer that you can work with that can still drive scale that is not going to break the bank. And, and I say that as some of some influencers, independent influencers that we've worked with, um, they're used to getting paid a lot of money to do very little. Um, we tend to have most of ours on contract with luminosity so they're they're working for us as athletes and and as content creators so we can efficiently offer advertisers that don't have large budgets an opportunity to align with an emerging influencer and get maximum value yeah i think that before albert goes i think what bill said there is a really great point right there's that the, the amount of engagement is, is so high that even that influencer who has 500,000 uh, followers or, or views on a video on a, let's say, daily or weekly basis, which isn't your 60 million, but just the amount of engagement that that 500,000 views gets is is so high relative to what you would, to, would see on a standard you know video campaign or a display campaign you might be running you know, through partners or, or like in the open exchange programmatically that that is what helps drive your KPIs, right? So it's all about how can you drive your end result, your outcome at the end of the day, and then working with a partner that knows the landscape, obviously, but is able to guide you in the direction of, okay, you know, I have this X amount of dollars and I'm trying to hit this KPI, what are my possibilities? And actually you'll realize, you know, once you dive into this world, that there are many possibilities and ways to do this, which in a lot of other media types, it's hard to sort of break that barrier of entry with a smaller budget. Um, but Albert, I love your thoughts as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, people get caught up in this, we can't compete from a share of voice perspective. And I think what it is, is I'd use the word that brands just need to get clever. Look, I, th I thought how Intel marketed itself in its early days were brilliant. They didn't waste time and money trying to educate a consumer mass of Intel inside and what that even meant. Because look, let's be clear, the average consumer is never gonna see a motherboard, never has, never will. They focused on the, the channel players, the influencers, people who built machines. So their whole idea is if we get them on board, you know, people who can build a computer from scratch, people who can repair computers to validate it's good tech, that's all that matters. So when you went into Best Buy or whatever, you know, some of the former retailers were, all you did was ask, is Intel side? And the, the rep says yes. And that was a validation that you were buying good equipment. It's a similar thing in terms of you know, probably looking at the influencer route, someone who can give you strong credibility uh, and interesting positioning, create a moment for you in time that, that in a very clever way sort of breaks through and allows you to again own that sort of moment in time uh, versus just being on the periphery where you really have to spin into your relevance. Uh, so that would be my, my, my suggestion in terms of getting clever and figuring out how to sort of hijack uh, the, the, the moment 
uh, versus you know seeing that we have to spend into gaining some level of footing of equality. Because look, they're brands that you'll never be able to outspend. They're too vested and it's baked too much into their DNA. Uh, but that's that would be the route that I would look at is who can you align with that, that can create a unique moment without breaking the bank financially that has some elasticity in the in the impact. Uh, that that's probably your smarter route in terms of of looking at, at, at how you can sort of own your, your time and place when you just don't have the budget to really have a sustained effort sort of month over month. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's big, right? It's, and I think esports is actually a pretty great area to sort of you know explore when you don't have that traditional sports sponsorship type budget or dollars available because there are so many ways in which you engage audiences really great and really, really engage the audience for a much smaller budget um, and not having to break the bank, um, as Albert said. Um, I think that's all the questions we had. I, I saw someone you know, much earlier, right? Uh, it will the deck be shared out? Yes, it will. I think a recording uh, would also get sent out automatically to all the people who viewed. So if anyone dropped out for a few minutes or wants to share, they're, they're, they'll get a video of this. Um, and the deck as well. So be on the lookout for that. Um, obviously, if there are any questions that come up after we're wrapped up here, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to provide some answers, clarify anything, uh, help out where we're necessary. But with that, let's say thank you to everyone. I, I definitely like to say thank you to uh, Albert and Bill for so much for you know, joining us today, helping us out, yep, giving welcome. us some you know insight into the esports world. Um, and, and hopefully for everyone listening in, it's been helpful to, to learn more about this world, uh, understand esports, and you know, hopefully help you give it a try sometime down the road. Uh, but with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining, and hopefully everyone has a great rest of the day and great rest of the week. Absolutely. Thanks, thank everyone. You. Thanks, everyone.